are listening to the Soul Source Podcast. I'm your host, Raquel Lamel. Soul Source exists to share stories that are shaping our world today. We're going straight to the source of the information to give you the best insights on topics and show you what's being done about these issues, as well as how you can help make a difference. So buckle up, Soul Source Society, because we're about to get started. And when we come out of this, I think we've all learned that there is some help in us slowing our lives down and and paying attention to the ones we love, right? And I think a lot of people learned that when we were all quarantined. Um, You know, I've played more games with my family than I've ever done and watched Friday Night Movies with my 13-year-old that would never have happened unless she was forced to stay home. Hello, everyone. I am Raquel Amel, the host of Soul Source, and we're going on more than half a year of quarantine, social distancing, avoiding outings with loved ones, and yes, in some cases, isolation. It's a real concern right now because feelings of loneliness and emptiness can really cause people to get down on themselves and just overall feel really bad about life. I mean, here's the definition of isolation from dictionary.com. I looked it up. It says it is the complete separation from others. Just think about that for a minute. The complete separation from others. I get it. Believe me, I've been working from home every week since March. I barely see my family and I miss just doing the fun things. Something as simple as going out for dinner or going to a movie all seem like so long ago. So how do you cope? Well, a few years ago, the Women's Fund of Oshkosh, Wisconsin conducted an isolation survey. This was conducted way before COVID. And the reason for it, people were feeling isolated even before the pandemic. It sounds crazy. I know, but it is true. I'm joined today by Carlene Grabner. She's the Director of Donor Services at the Oshkosh Area Community Foundation. And what she has to tell us today reaches far broader and far beyond just Northeast Wisconsin. It affects every single one of us. Carlene, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, I am really excited to talk with you. And I mentioned, you know, you had this isolation survey that you guys did way before COVID-19 and quarantining. We're even a part of our everyday life and conversations. So what made you want to research isolation? Well, it started with um, about 10 different focus groups, to be honest. And the focus groups were designed to people that the Women's Fund supports in our communities. So for example, um, single mothers, 16-year-old girls, 20-year-old girls, fathers of daughters, elderly women, women living in poverty, and, and a few others. We tried to work as smartly as we could to dissect these groups to learn what issues they face, but then to give them $10,000 to solve a community problem in their age demographics, whichever demographics they were in. Um, And as we went through this process, each group, even the ones I didn't think so, they funded different issues, but every group's main conversation relied around the topic of social isolation. That blows my mind that that was going on like years ago already. Yeah, this was a campaign we did uh, 10 years ago. And, you know, and and I say this a lot, um, but we had elderly women um, discussing, you know, that they hadn't physically been touched in um, six to nine months. We had 16-year-olds say, yeah, we have 800 friends on Facebook, but I don't know that there's somebody I feel I can call, look in the face, and have coffee with. Um, Our single moms were like, yeah, we didn't know anybody else's kid bit bit in the classroom either so we just felt like a terrible mom and and didn't go to the functions so it was just these um different demographics again but at the end of it it all boiled down to 
social connections, isolation, or, or feeling maybe judged or, or something that led them to revert, I guess is a good way to say it. Okay. And, you know, you talked about some of those different issues. I mean, so can you, do you find that people can be isolated and, and they can still be surrounded by people? Yeah. So we did. Absolutely. So through this campaign, as I said, we did like a hundred thousand dollar, it was a hundred thousand dollar campaign for these groups to give um, assets away to community nonprofits that solved their issue that they came up with as a group. And the other reason we did it as a women's fund was to listen to what these groups had to say, if I'm explaining myself well. Um, For instance, our 16-year-old girls, right, our board is made up of a lot of wonderful 40 and 50-year-old, 60-year-old men and women. We haven't been in high school in a really long time. So for us to know what to grant to intelligently, we felt that we needed to talk to these people from them on what is really going on in their lives. And I say that just so you know what our reasoning was behind doing this. Um, But with the campaign, we we had some some great marketing people behind us that came up with an isolation booth, which the concept was it was an all plexiglass booth. And you could see people, right? You can see the person in front of you standing in this booth looking as normal as anyone looks, but not the, the image was to portray that you don't know how isolated they actually are. And we found that all socioeconomics and all age groups, a lot of them felt the same. Um, so it wasn't just, there, weren't, there wasn't a certain group that felt that way. It was all across the board. Now, I'm not saying everyone was isolated, but all across the board, there, there was this overwhelming conversation of social connectedness and isolation. Okay, so I, mean, I was going to ask you, like, who was being impacted, but it sounds like really everybody. Yeah, it, it was. And it, it was interesting. Um, the last group, my boss at the time, her and I were talking and I'm like, boy, it, it is really boiled down to isolation. And our last group was women surviving poverty. And I remember like screaming from the rooftop, there is no way this group is going to speak to isolation. They have so many other things in front of them to deal with. They, it, isolation isn't going to be their conversation. And isolation was their entire conversation. Um, you know, there was examples of a woman um, got divorced and didn't know what kind of financial situation she was in her household. And they were, you know, in huge debt. And um, her friends would call her to go out to lunch and she was embarrassed to talk about it. So she stopped going to lunch with her friends and then her friends stopped calling and she started sitting in her basement and actually ended up this particular person having a gambling issue because she on, online, um, but it, it was a trickle effect. And in all these women, for one reason or another, in this Women Surviving Poverty group, ultimately had isolation issues that um, when you listen to them, wasn't the reason for their problem, but was definitely present in what didn't make the problem better. So you conducted this survey 10 years ago. Here we are 10 years later. How much of what you learned then is relevant now? So for me, because I was at the table 10 years ago and still am, um, it's kind of fun because I had a lot of organizations and groups look at me like this is a soft conversation. We're not, we're not talking about it. Um, it's great, but you guys go do it. You know, just kind of like that. And, and I originally also felt, you know, where's the outcomes? How are we going to measure this? All those kind of things that funders think about. But now about six years later, eight years later, and now 10 years later, 
a lot of the organizations back then that had those conversations with me have now done some of their own studies and campaigns on a lot of times now it's referred to as social connectedness but on isolation so we thought that campaign was way behind us and I, I have to be honest to say we did it we spent two plus years on it um, and, and we moved on and it was probably about year four or five where we started to hear all these different groups and people calling us saying can we use your booth can we see the studies you did um, which is wonderful I mean absolutely wonderful but interesting all in the same respects because that message has continued to go far yeah. So then, I mean, especially now, I mean, isolation with COVID, that's really easy to fall into a pattern of isolation. So are you seeing even more requests or calls for this information? Well, um, no, not from organizations yet, but from individuals. Um, the conversations you're having are, are, are devastating, to be honest. Um, and I have tried to research facts, like, is there numbers out there right now of what's happening? But there doesn't seem to be a lot yet. But I don't know that there's any way that this isn't going to affect us tenfold. And in a couple examples, you know, even my committee, a bunch of strong networked individuals, um, the first time we opened up a meeting to be in person, everybody came running through the doors and two of them were half crying. And I'm like, what is the problem? And, and even those women, they just had been working from home the whole time. So hadn't, hadn't physically seen anybody. Um, and there's other things happening. One of our, our amazing board members is Ken Arneson with Evergreen. And for him having the conversations with us on what's going on in the retirement community, um, you know, again, we thought isolation was a problem before. It, it, it's going to be worse. And recently we do, we do a lot of conversations with COVID happening with our, our hospital experts in the Valley. Mm -hmm. And there's a new term that just makes me so sad, but they call it hospital delirium. And with those people that have this COVID and are in, in the hospitals, um, they're shutting you in a closed room, which they have to. I'm not, nothing, this is what they need to do, right? But they're putting you in a closed room for five days-ish or more, and, and you're getting as limited access as possible so that others aren't getting affected, right? So the strategy I understand, but the individuals are becoming, like I said, they're calling it hospital delirium because they're becoming a little... What day is it? What time is it? And explain to me why I'm here. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on some of these things, but I do want to ask you how isolation can impact someone's overall well-being. I mean, I've seen some of the promotional materials you had. One of them talked about isolation being as dangerous as smoking. That's a pretty far statement. So how, what do you mean by that? And then compound COVID on top of it, just how much can this impact how a person, their well-being? Yeah. So by no means am I any expert on the conversation. Everything um, we have in front of us, excuse me, is material that, that we found from others. Um, but, and there's a really good book if anyone wants to dive deeper into this conversation about bowling alone. Um, it was written actually in 2000. And that book is about isolation, but goes into how our culture has changed. Where, you know, years ago, right or wrong, um, most citizens were part of a church or, or an organized group. Um, most neighborhoods had a lot of moms that stayed home and they had play dates and the kids were playing with each other in the neighborhood. And if there were elderly people on your street, you had a, a, a blind program, they called it, where, um, you know, that, that person needed to open their blinds up by 930 in the morning. Or if they didn't, you were going to go over there to see what was going on in their household. You know, there were there were a lot of things that used to be different than they are now 
and again, no judgment on it, but it was just different. Well, now you've got, you know, two people working in most households coming home exhausted, shutting the garage door as soon as they can. And, um, you know, in, in a lot of books, you, you'll see that right now, that that is, that is what people are doing. The, um, organized groups are not as popular as they used to be, which again, good or bad, um, I don't know, it, you know, the numbers going down in, in religious activities, you know, again, good or bad, I don't know, but the ramifications of it is it's forced activities with others. And I'm sorry, I'm not answering your question. I'm going off on something else. But um, I, I do think too, when I listen to some of these businesses right now say, oh, we've realized we can, we can have our whole team be at home and, and still get the production. And, and I'm like, well, that's great. However, Please remember that the social interaction in an office is important. That person might not have any other social interaction in their week, and, and maybe they're fine that way, but the forced social interaction is good for all of us. And maybe it's not every day of the week, but it, it's good for all of us. But from a medical standpoint, after we did, we came to the conclusion that this was the topic we needed to focus on because that's what they brought up. We, um, we did sit down with the community hospitals, and, and it is in the top five, or it was, um, in the top five things that the hospital industry looks at in, in is a person healthy or not healthy. Um, and it, it is sometimes in most situations, it's worse than smoking, it's worse than obesity, and other things. And I think that is because, again, I don't know for sure, but the wellness of a human being being completely on their own um, is just not is 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 not how we're made up. It's not how we're made to be. Um, and so, yeah, you can smoke five cigarettes a day. I think is one of the the statistics we found, and and that is better for you than being completely isolated. Oh, oh man, that's heartbreaking. You don't even you, the thing is you can not even realize that it's happening to people, which is what's so sad. Are there signs then that people can look for? How do you know? How would you know if your friend or your family member or anybody, your coworker is feeling isolated? What can you look for? So we, we then went out and did a campaign along with the boost and all that stuff. And I think I did 62 or 58 or some presentations around the Oshkosh community. Um, and, you know, part of the conversation we had is there are definitely triggers that are obvious that will spur and could spur isolation. And, you know, there, there's some of the easy ones. Transitions in your stages of life, you know, meaning maybe high school to college or, you know, single to married and, and things like that. So transitions is a big thing. Um, moving, of course, moving to a new community. And, and it's, a lot of times it's hard for individuals to break through. Um, death, of course, is, is a huge one. But those are, those are triggers that you can watch for to do something immediately. You know, there's other things too. And, and how do you identify the signs? I don't 100% know how to do that. What we talked a lot about was how do you, as a human being, even if it's with one person, how do you go above and beyond with that human without them even asking? So let's just use this as an example. So my best friend, which this is a true example, but her, her husband died, about 40 years old. Um, and Everybody brings lasagna day one, right? Everybody does. I mean, it's just what everybody does. Here's a card, here's a lasagna. And, you know, and, and I, I'm sure that went on for weeks, maybe months. Um, but what she talked about, and now that she's five years removed from it, what we've talked about a lot is month three, the phone doesn't ring. 
and month four, the phone doesn't ring and month six, the phone doesn't ring. And, and the hard part about some of that is because as humans, from my angle, right from my personal experience with that, I'm sitting on the other side going, I bet you everybody is calling her. Everybody's probably calling her. I've got to, I've got to step away. I've got to give her a break, you know, but in, but when you sit down with her and you say, well, I expected everybody to be calling you. She's like, nobody called me. And so again, I think like humans, we want to do the right good thing. I think sometimes we just don't. And I think responding and just doing those types of things, marking your calendar for three months later to say, I'm going to send a card today, or I'm going to pick up the phone and call today is, is important. I think it's easy because I know I personally do this to be like, oh, well, it's three months later. Yeah, I don't want to bring up something that maybe they, you know, they're getting over, but that's not the case, you know, and it almost is like grieving again when everybody's gone and you're truly alone then, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, what, it, another woman lost his child in town and, and I believe he was like 20 when he passed away a couple years ago too. And because of this campaign, I'm very alert to certain things. And I saw him at a restaurant. They were planning the funeral the day I saw him. And, and I, you know, whatever, ordered my food and then walked up to him and, and just gave him a huge hug. And I didn't say anything because there's nothing I can say. But he too said to me, you know, everybody just keeps walking away from me. And they know what they're going through, right? No matter what the, the painful situation is, these are the extreme ones. But, but they know what they're in. So by you acknowledging it isn't going to make them feel any worse. Judging it would be different, but acknowledging the situation that individuals are in isn't going to make anyone feel worse. And then, you know, and then just trying to be a good person to see what you can do about it. One of the, um, when you asked about health, one of the quotes that I like, I think it was in Bowling Alone too, the book, but they talked about like simply holding someone's hand lowers their blood pressure and reduces the pain in their body. So, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, again, like maybe some elderly people or um, people that aren't feeling well and all of that, that's a simple thing to do, sit by their side. Well, if you're lowering someone's blood pressure in a, in a health situation, that's, just, that's extremely positive. And you don't have to do anything to do it is when we went on this campaign, it was like, these aren't things that are going to impact your world dramatically. They're just gestures. Another, uh, yeah, I could talk forever on this subject. <laughs> but these are such good stories, Carlene. <laughs> oh, another thing that was coincidental, because I think I said this six times, but I was not in favor of doing this campaign. I just was terrified. It wasn't, you know, outcome based and all that. The day, I think, before we decided to do it, I think it was Fond du Lac County had a gentleman, an elderly gentleman, pass away in his home, and he was there, I think, for five or six days before anyone knew it. And so, again, years ago, they had male individuals, male people, um, male service people were actually taught, from what I understand and reading some of these things years ago, that if someone doesn't pick up their mail for like three or four days, they're fine with them going in the house and knocking and saying, hey, what's going on here? You know, or, or being alert to that kind of situation um, or the neighborhood type things that you used to see in neighborhood groups of, you know, opening your blinds at 930 in the morning. So when, when that happened, it was another incidence for me to say, I mean, this is insane that someone didn't recognize an individual was not around for five days. I, I, you know, it, that, that's just awful and heartbreaking and, and not okay for something not to be in place for that person living alone. It can be as simple as like a phone call to that person. Even if it's like a 10 minute phone call, Hey, how's it going? But at least then you're checking in, you know, and you know. Yeah. And so I live in a neighborhood that I, I, is great because we have a cross section of 
of families and, and some people that are retired and everything. And it's great because we have the mayor, we call him on our street. And if my, I can't find my kids for whatever, he'll walk out and point which direction they are. And it's funny because I could come across like, you know, you don't need to be, to me, it's amazing because I have somebody else looking out for my children. So again, super simple, right? He's standing outside doing the yard work. He saw him run this way. Okay, well, he's like making sure I know that. So it, it, again, it isn't hard things to feel like you're being paid attention to. We'll be right back after this short break. Did you know isolation was a big problem even before this pandemic struck? People from all walks of life were feeling isolated prior to being told to quarantine away from each other. The Women's Fund of the Oshkosh Area Community Foundation is working to educate people about isolation and how it can be just as dangerous as smoking in some cases. To learn more, visit women.oshkoshareacf.org. Welcome back. Now, I want to take this back to what is kind of happening right now because you talk about holding hands and just being there. Well, all of that is what we're not supposed to do right now. So it's really hard. You know, you mentioned those, those ladies that came into that meeting for the first time and they're crying because it's the first not zoom meeting, you know, that they have. And so what are things that people can do? How do you feel less, less isolated right now specifically? I think from a COVID standpoint, not maybe a little isolation, but I think we've all learned that there is some health in us slowing our lives down and, and paying attention to the ones we love. Right. And I think a lot of people learned that when we were all quarantined, um, you know, I, I played more games with my family than I've ever done and watched Friday night movies with my 13 year old that would never have happened unless she was forced to stay home. But with that, I think we also should take some time to think through who else are we paying attention to? And in, if everybody did that, you know, it's the age old saying, if everybody just thought about one extra neighbor or one extra coworker or any of that, um, I, it'd be such a better society. What is the one thing with all the research you've done and your personal experiences and the people you've met, if you had one thing you wanted to tell people, you want people to walk away with from this podcast in regards to isolation, what is that one thing? I don't want to say do something because that's too simple, but, but just be aware, um, pay attention, be aware. Um, don't again, think through the situations of those around you. If somebody passes away, think through the fact that, um, you know, six months from now, it, it's important to make contact with them. Um, it was interesting. We had a family friend pass away recently, a, a very close family friend and, and my daughter's 13, as I said, and and one of my girlfriends who has gone through some tragedy as well in death at young age sent my daughter flowers and said, this is a lot for you as a 13 year old girl to see and go through. And for me, that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen because they thought of, A, they thought of my, my child in this, but B, somebody, you know, someone thought of it. I mean, someone thought of just reaching out and making her relevant and important during a time where sad things were happening all around us. So. Again, I, I think it isn't that hard if we really just try to, to do something. It isn't, it isn't hard work. It's not time consuming. Um, you know, stop being the garage door people and, and go meet your new neighbor that moved down the street. It's obvious when a house is for sale and someone new comes in, you know, but we, we don't do that stuff anymore. And 
we don't have to act like a society that's like, oh, I'm not going to go greet my new neighbor. What if they're, you know, I don't know, a bad human or what if they're going to be mad? Oh, well, you know, go do it. And, and it doesn't take that much to do some of those things. And you don't know if you don't try. Right. Right. And I'm not saying you have to do something every day. It's just like here and there, be alert to what's going on around you. And, and at some points, take a step forward because somebody else is going to hopefully do that for you too. Mm -hmm. So if you, do you have any resources or anything that you could offer up for people if they are feeling alone right now or isolated? Is there anywhere they can go? Well, you know, the, the, um, coined answer, I guess, to that is a lot of people will, um, call 211. So, you know, 211 is the information line for nonprofits. And so they would lead you to, you know, a mental health, help, you know, a mental health counselor or, or someone on the path to what, what your issue is. Um, you know, that's the professional way to, to do it. Um, and my personal opinion is don't be afraid also to reach out to those in your current circle, those that used to be in your circle and, and be vulnerable. And I guess sometimes it's not going to work and, and that is going to be bad, but I think more than not, you're going to be surprised by the result. For sure. For sure. I, people, like you said, I think the majority of people do, they want to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do. I mean, really. And and again, we're all busy and we're all on 100% and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, these, these things sometimes it's just stop right now and, and think about, and when people do it, it doesn't take more time. It doesn't take more energy. So, and it makes it feel good, right? To do something for others. Mm -hmm. For sure. Carlene, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you being here and, and sharing your insights, the research that you guys have done. And I love how relevant it is. I mean, how, how fortuitous or a coincidental, I'm not sure what it is that you guys did this 10 years ago. And now here it is so prevalent today. That's just amazing. Yeah, it is. And, and, and thank you from the women's fund board of directors and myself, thank you for allowing us to talk about this again. And you know, I don't want to say this, but maybe a couple of years from now, we're, we're on again when we see what, what does this pandemic do and, and hopefully how we maybe came out of this smarter, I guess, with um, how we treat each other and, and where we use our time. Yes. Oh, I, I, hope, I hope things can improve for sure. Thank you for listening. And if you want to hear more Soul Source, subscribe to the show. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there's something you want us to talk about here on the show, well, we can do that too. We have a Facebook group called the Soul Source Society. It's where we interact with listeners, share special content only seen in that group, talk about shows, get ideas for future podcasts, and overall, we just have a lot of fun. That's Soul Source Society on Facebook. We hope to see you there. Soul Source is brought to you by Red Shoes Inc., a leading agency specializing in crisis and strategic communications, media relations, social media, and so much more. To learn more about Soul Source and Red Shoes, visit us at redshoesinc.com.